Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. Well, we're starting into a new series today, and the title of the series is We Proclaim. We Proclaim. We're going to be reading out of Acts 5, verse 42, as well as Mark 1, verses 1 through 8. And our initiative over this year as our house is that the lost would be found. And in praying and thinking about Easter, I kept coming back to the fact that we were created to proclaim the gospel message, the good news to all creation. It's why you have breath inside of your lungs. It's every cell of your body and every drop of blood in your body was created to profess that Jesus is Lord. Come on church, we were made in the image of God. We are proclaiming daily, whether you're saying it out of your mouth or not, that there is a God. And I wanna activate some lungs today. I wanna activate some voices in the house today to say we are gonna declare the good news and the gospel message of Jesus. Jesus Christ. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking this from four different points of view and what it looks like to proclaim the good news of the Messiah. Amen. So let's pick it up in Acts 5 42. This is going to be our series scripture. And it says this day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And I also want to read Mark 1, 1 through 8, and it says this. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice calling in the wilderness Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The title of my message today is Prepare the Way. Prepare the Way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us and changes us and transforms us. I pray you'd soften hearts in this room today. I pray you'd open up mindsets. Help us to activate our voices today, to be people that declare and proclaim the good news of the Messiah. Lord, I pray for Easter even now as we're gearing up for it. Lord, I pray for divine appointments, divine moments, divine conversations over the next few weeks where people will be able to be invited and hear the gospel message. We thank you that your hand is on us. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
Prepare the way. Have you ever been unprepared for something? Have you ever been unprepared? Anybody in here been unprepared for something? Isn't it such a terrible feeling when you're unprepared? It's like you're maybe sitting down to make a meal and you're putting together all the ingredients and all of a sudden, like the key ingredient that you need, you ran out of and you don't have anymore. Like that's a terrible feeling when you're cooking, you put all that effort in, you're unprepared for that meal. Maybe for some of you in here, it's you're, you're doing a presentation for your job and you're putting together all these things, but it comes up to the presentation and you're unprepared to bring all the different parts to it. So you're just kind of sweating bullets and just kind of worrying, like, I hope this comes across in one way or another so they hear it, right? Maybe some of you are still in school and you come up to an exam or a test and you're unprepared to take that. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world when you come to that test and you're sitting there going, I have no idea the sentence I just read. Right? It's one of the worst feelings in the world to be unprepared. And the two areas in my life that I would say I was the most unprepared for when they happened were when we had kids and when we got married. Like anybody else? I'm just alone in here. That's okay. You guys are awesome. Like marriage counselors in the house. I get it. Honestly, though, I'm telling you, nothing can prepare you for the level of transition that you take when you get married or when you have kids. Like, people are, like, giving you books. People are having conversations for you. Can I just tell you, no five-minute conversation in the lobby is going to change the trajectory of someone's marriage. Like, there is so much that happens when these two worlds collide. When we had kids, nothing can prepare you for the moment in the hospital when they hand you this little bag of flesh and you hold it in your hands and you go, okay, now I have to take care of this thing and keep it alive. Like, I just went from, like, what am I going to eat for dinner tonight to all of a sudden like, okay, I got a lot of pressure on my hands now. Nothing can prepare you for that feeling. Nothing can prepare you for the first poop that you have to change of that baby. Can I tell you, no one tells you how to swallow your vomit and not throw up on your child when you're changing diapers. No one prepares you for that. I was unprepared for children. I remember going out, like we got to leave the hospital and we put our little baby in the car and I look out the window and see the nurses over there and they're just waving goodbye. And I'm like, so are you guys coming to our house later? Like I was so unprepared for all of those moments. In the same way with marriage, we did some marriage counseling. We read some books. We had good conversations. We had conversations with people. And I tell you what, Nothing will fully prepare you for the two worlds colliding of a marriage happening, right? People go into their wedding going, pouring unity sand, going, this is going to be beautiful. Nothing can separate us. And all of a sudden, they find out that night that their spouse doesn't brush their teeth every day. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, what the heck did I just marry into? You know, nothing can prepare you for that. Two backgrounds, two senses of humor, two upbringings. Maybe even different languages. Marriage is a collision of two worlds coming together that you can feel so unprepared for when you get into it. Now, I really think that that's what's happening here in Mark 1. It's a collision of two worlds. See, before John the Baptist comes into the picture, people had been for hundreds of years abiding by the law of Moses. 
They had done all the steps and stages that they could do. And even in that time, they've fallen short and they've come back to God. They've disobeyed God and then they followed God. Can I tell you, they would gather together in the temple courts to hear the law of Moses. They would give sacrifices for their sins. They would, you know, respect their Sabbath. They would check all the boxes. They were being deceived in a lot of ways by the Pharisees and Sadducees who were constantly bickering back and forth, trying to find truth. And they were sucking the life out of following God. So people were stuck in this place of going, I think I have to be obedient to God. Otherwise he's going to strike me down. And it's been 400 years of silence up to this point. So all of a sudden this crazy guy comes into the wilderness and begins to profess that a Messiah is on the way. This is two worlds colliding, two backgrounds colliding, two ways in which people, generations of routines, of structure, of abiding by the law of Moses, the 10 commandments, yet this guy comes in to the open and says, listen, there's something new on the horizon. And Isaiah prophesied about John the Baptist 600 years before. He says this, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. So John the Baptist begins to introduce this new reality to the people, a reality that will change humanity forever. Although there had been prophecies of a Messiah, no one knew what he would look like or what he would sound like. So John does exactly what Isaiah prophesied about. He prepares the way for the Lord to come. And if we pick it up in verse four of Mark chapter one, it says this. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see how this would have been shocking? Two worlds colliding. Why? Because for hundreds of years, for them to find redemption from their sin, it would be through the death of an animal and a sacrifice of that animal, the spilling of blood to cover their sins. And yet John the Baptist is coming out here, just a crazy guy in a field, standing in a river, dressed like a crazy person, professing that if you're baptized, you're going to be redeemed from your sins. In verse 7, it says, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So church, picture this. John prepares the way for the good news. This is such a dynamic difference from Acts 5. Acts 5.42, we read, day after day, in the temple courts, and house to house, they never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. We're so used to the Acts 5 continued legacy because we've all grown up in this environment. You can't drive a street in Tampa and not see a church. Like probably multiple times in your life, outside of even church, you've heard the name Jesus. You're familiar with the name Jesus. You would have known what this looked like. So we're living in this beautiful legacy of what was set beforehand, but yet John comes into the picture and it's recorded in John Mark's uh, gospel, verse one, that the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. So picture this, nobody in that time had heard about Jesus other than through prophecies. 
Nobody of that time had any idea what Jesus would look like. And hear this, the name Jesus wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. Isn't that wild to think? Like, we can't even comprehend what that would look like because we've all grown up knowing the name Jesus in America. Like, our, our money still says, in God we trust, right? So we understand the continued legacy of Acts 5, but what's happening here with John is a collision of the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. And what he says is, after me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of sandals who I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. This would have truly been like a freight train coming into their culture. This would have been a messenger coming through with a bulldozer knocking down thousand-year-old forests for these people. After 400 years of silence, he's saying that the Messiah is coming. John prepares the way and makes the paths straight for Jesus. See, he's making a road for Jesus to come on. In this sentence, make his path straight, the word make is in the present imperative, issuing a command to be obeyed continuously. So simply said like this, make a way and keep on making a way. At the beginning of the gospel coming, John prepares the way and he says this, I'm making a way and I'm gonna keep on making a way. I love how Luke quotes Isaiah's prophecy in more detail. It's not gonna be on the screens because I want you to picture it visually. It says this, every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. Do you see how John prepared the way? Do you see how he was a bulldozer coming into this culture and bringing the good news of Jesus? Jesus needed a front runner. Jesus needed someone to plow the way so that he could come riding on that road into people's hearts and bring salvation for all. There's always in every single group of people, there's someone who's maybe a little more outgoing or even obnoxious. And I love those people so much. Oftentimes I'm one of those people, you know, I'm gonna be the loudest person there. And there's not many times there's people who are louder and crazier than me, but I love it when it happens. It's a beautiful thing. And when we first moved here in the beginning of 2021, um, I made the decision that that was the year that I was gonna celebrate my birthday and love my birthday. Do we have anybody here who doesn't like their birthday? We got like three of you. Let's be honest. Anybody doesn't like their birthday? Come on, be honest. It's okay, it's okay. I see your hands, I see your hands. Okay, you can come to the front. We're gonna pray for you. No, I'm just kidding. I was one of those people that hated my birthday. I don't know why. I don't know what the narrative was in my mind. I just couldn't stand celebrating my birthday. Brianna dreaded the day, right, when my birthday would come around. But in 2021, I decided to change the narrative. Don't agree to that too much, okay? It's fine. In 2021, I decided to change the narrative in my mind, and it helped so much. What I decided to do was instead of at my birthday thinking about all the things I wanted to accomplish for the next year, I decided just to celebrate all the amazing things that happened from the year before. And when I started doing that, I started loving my birthday more because it wasn't a lack of accomplishments. It was a celebration of the life that I was living. So if you hate your birthday, that's how you love it now, okay? But I made this decision in my adult life. I go, you know what? In embracing the love of my birthday, I'm gonna throw my first adult birthday party, right? And Brianna was shocked. What do you mean you're gonna do this? And we did it. And 
you know, at the time we're church planting, like we didn't have a church. And so we're inviting every single person we knew, like random strangers showing up to our house. And we're like, this is great. You know, happy birthday. Okay, cool. And uh, it was such a, you know, basically it was just a gathering of people with some good music and, and, and some great food. And we're just kind of hanging out, spending time together. And it was very chill. But about halfway through the party, this guy shows up who's wearing this kind of like straw hat and he's got sunglasses on and it's dark outside. And he's like got like a, a Hawaiian shirt on and like a bandana. He rocks into the house with a little tiny bag and he hands it to me. And it basically had a pair of dollar store glasses in it as well as a Polaroid of himself that said happy birthday, right? <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? Like we had just moved here three months before and this rando guy shows up halfway through. But you know what took place in that moment? the party started. It went from a hangout of a bunch of like kind of boring people to the party had arrived and he loosed the atmosphere and all of a sudden energy was in the place. People just started jumping into the pool. People started laughing and celebrating. This guy was walking around with his Polaroid camera. That guy was Casey McGinnis, okay? Can we show that picture up here? These are some of the Polaroids of the night, you know what I'm saying? It was absolutely an outrageous thing. But can I tell you, I will never, ever forget that night. Yeah, zoom in a little bit. Look at that picture. I still have that Polaroid. It's in my underwear drawer. Okay, that's much I love you, Casey. <laughs> still there. You can move on so we don't have to look at that anymore. I'll never forget that night. It was beautiful already. But it went from just being a gathering of people to being something like a party, an environment where he celebrated and had fun. And I will never forget the power of this crazy guy walking in with sunglasses at night and what that did to the environment of my birthday party that I had, the first birthday party that I had in my adult life. As silly as it is, it reminds me of the power of what took place with John the Baptist when he came into the picture. See, he came in like a freight train John had no fashion sense, a very strange diet. He wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. But hear me today. John stood out. He was outrageous. And he plowed the ground for Jesus's arrival. I'm not saying you need to dress like him or eat like him or even dress like Casey. Hello. Love you, Casey. But I would challenge all of us as waymakers of the gospel of Jesus Christ that our lives ought to stand out from the background noise of the world around us. We should look different. We should sound different. We should act different. Come on, church. We are proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never look like the world. We're meant to be in it. We're not meant to be of it. We're meant to be aliens to this world. We're meant to be salt to the world, light to the world. We're meant to be a city on top of a hill that cannot be hidden. We can't prepare the way for the Lord if we don't stand out from it. And John the Baptist was wild Yet his difference intrigued people to want to know more. John never backed down from reminding people that he's there to prepare the way for Jesus because he was at the beginning of the gospel. What a beautiful thing that John wasn't there celebrating his own gathering of people. 
He wasn't like, look at all you people coming out to celebrate me. He turns the attention back to Jesus and says, this is why we have gathered. And church, we're in the thick of the gospel being presented and we need to prepare the way for the gospel's entry into people's lives. Amen. Hearts are prepared and the lost are found when we activate our faith and proclaim that the gospel is here. And if I have a main point for today to simplify all that I'm trying to say, it's this, that God uses his people to create a path into people's lives and hearts. God uses each and every one of us. Just like John the Baptist, it might not look exactly like it, but he's called every single one of us to make level the paths, to make a highway, to bring Jesus into people's lives and hearts. So the world is colliding and people around us and their personal kingdom is colliding with the kingdom of God. And we are the ones that prepare the highway for Jesus to come. Your coworkers, your family, your friends, the barista at your favorite coffee shop, the checker at Publix, the people in your class, can I tell you, they need you to prepare the way for Jesus to come. We've been called. So how do we practically follow suit of John and prepare the way for the gospel in people's lives? See, the one who prepared the way had a message to preach. And if John prepared the way like this, I believe we should follow suit, especially in an age where Christianity is decreasing in America and in a region of one of the most unchurched areas in the United States right here in Tampa, we're 80% unchurched. It sounds like we need some believers to prepare the way for the Lord to come into people's lives. And the first part of John's message that he preached was to live and preach repentance. Everyone say repentance. Repentance is a thing that opens the door for the Lord's coming in your life. Repentance is the thing that opens the way for the Lord to bring salvation. I would say this, that our terminology betrays us in church. We tell people at the end of most services that it, you can accept the Lord or invite him to be a part of your lives. And more or less, it sounds like we're telling people a method to self-improvement. It's like an infomercial saying for three easy payments of $19.99, like you're going to get like some self-help and, and you're going to be able to have a life that you want to have to improve yourself. But we really need to fix how we communicate what it means to be a believer. Hear this. It starts with repentance and repentance means to turn away from sin and change your mind about how you feel about sin. So turn away from sin and change how you feel about sin. And I want to explain it this way. When sin came into the world, it was when Adam and Eve came and pulled the fruit off of the tree and they decided they wanted the choice of good and evil in their hands rather than in God's hands, and they lose sin across the world. But repentance is when people make the decision to say, you know what, I'm gonna put the apple back on the tree because God, I want you to have full control of my life, not me anymore. Are you with me, church? We're putting the apple back on the tree when we repent. And something that's so powerful about this is it's not just doing a step of like, that's, that's good enough, I'm gonna take one step and I'm gonna change. No, it's not only putting the apple back on the tree, but changing your mind about how you feel about it and saying, 
God, I'm giving you full control of my life. Come on, church, salvation begins with repentance. Salvation begins where you say, I no longer am going to be in charge of my life. I'm gonna say, God, you are in charge. You are the master, not me. And we all must repent to be saved. We all must repent if we wanna go to heaven. We have to put the fruit back on the tree. Second Peter 3, 9 says this. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so often people are like, okay, so what you're telling me, Alex, is this, that, that God's just sitting there waiting for me to like, I gotta stop sinning and I gotta get out of my life so that I can be saved. Yes, absolutely. But listen, the heart of God is not just like, come on, do it, like get it, get over it. The heart of God is this, that he's patient with you. He's gonna take his time with you. He wants to wait so it, so that your mind is changed about the thing. It's not just a 180 turn around for a day. It's a lifestyle choice. It's a mindset shift of saying, I give it all to you, God. You are in control of my life. He's patient with you. And hear this too. The beautiful thing of Second Peter is this. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He's not sitting up there when someone sins over and over and over again. He's like, fine, just stay dead in your ways. Go keep doing your sin. Go keep living your life for yourself. That's fine. No, God's heart is this, that he goes, I don't want a single person, person to perish. So he's patient with you. But he wants you to come to repentance. This verse shows us that without repentance, people will perish. There's an initial repentance that saves us from our sins, but there's an ongoing repentance that keeps our relationship with God. And accepting salvation isn't about just receiving the love of Jesus. That's such a powerful part of it. But it's turning from your sin in repentance and giving God control of your life. Come on, we have to preach and live out the message of repentance. Are you with me, church? The second part of his message was we are baptized and we need to baptize. In verse 4, Mark 1, it says this, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people from Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So hear this today. The second part of this message that John preached was regarding baptism. See, John was given water baptism by God as a physical symbol of something that was to come. The people who came to him would have seen this as like a ceremonial, like cleansing of their, of their sins and all of this stuff. But it was really to prepare a way for when they came into the knowledge of Jesus, his death and his resurrection is the picture of what water baptism is. Because we are dying to self when we go under the water. And when we come out of the water, the new has come. The old man has died. The new man has come. Are you with me, church? Come on, there is power in Baptism. We must die to self and be raised in Christ every single day. And we have to live as a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have to preach that you can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. I had a conversation with someone this last week who they reacted to a situation super poorly. And they said this to me. They said, Alex, like the old man just keeps coming back out and I can't figure out why. And I'm trying to tell him no. And something in, in my spirit told me to ask this question. I said, have you been baptized in water? And they said, no, we were waiting for, you know, all these different things to happen. And I go, I think that's your issue. 
Because you haven't publicly declared before all believers saying, you know what, the old is dead. It's, you haven't declared before others that you've put a burial to the old self and the resurrection of the new person is here. So you haven't fully stepped into the salvation that God offers to you. Come on, baptism is such a powerful part of our story. It's a declaration, it's a proclamation of the mercy of God, it's a, it's a showing to everyone that I am dying on the cross alongside Jesus. I'm picking up my cross daily and I'm gonna follow after Jesus. That's why we cheer and celebrate when people go under the water because we wanna know, we want them to know that we are with them, we're standing with them and that they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now clearly John the Baptist believed and taught two baptisms. If you look at verses seven and eight again, it says, after me will come one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Come on, how beautiful is this? Mark 1.1, 1, 1, at the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the very beginning of confessing Jesus, the very first prophecy, the very first things coming out of John the Baptist's mouth is saying, listen, He's going to come and baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If we don't prioritize the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're missing the power of the gospel message. At the beginning of the gospel message, at the proclaiming of Jesus as the Messiah, he's coming to preach a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to take, in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to dive in after Easter. We're going to dive into what that means and the power of that. And I encourage you to participate in that. But John is preaching these two baptisms, the baptism of repentance and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need both coming together to be people that prepare the way for Jesus to come in. Jesus goes, you want to be my witness? Throughout the world, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. Either way. We need to experience both baptisms in our life. I'm gonna invite the band up. Come on, this is the good news of Jesus and we are to proclaim it. John the Baptist came into the picture to prepare the way and he's speaking of the Messiah to come. And something takes place in Matthew's account of this in Matthew 3, 13, that I think is so powerful. And when I read it, Something came to life inside of me, and I pray I can convey that in this moment to all of you. Matthew 3, 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John seat. And soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. Church, I hope you see this the complete fulfillment of the prophecies had now come into fruition, enacted by John the Baptist. The complete fulfillment of the prophecies. 
hundreds of years, they've been waiting for a Messiah to come and bring salvation. And in this moment, John the Baptist is out here just doing what he can, preparing the way, plowing the ground, making straight the paths. And I want you to picture this, John sitting out in the water, just working every day, living a life that was so different. This wasn't comfortable for him. So many people think of John the Baptist like that was probably his preference, but I can't imagine that was his preference to eat locusts and dress like that. He's standing out there preparing the way, preparing the way, preparing the way. Picture the moment with me really quick, church. When you look down the road and you see Jesus the Messiah coming down. His whole life, John's whole life was leading up to this moment. 600 years beforehand, he had been prophesied about that this was the purpose for his life. And you could imagine him standing in the water going, okay, I'm just doing it. I'm just being faithful. What does it look like, God? I'm just planting seeds. I'm just knocking over mountains. I'm just plowing away. Whatever it looks like, God, I'm going to be faithful to follow the call of God. I'm going to be faithful to keep dunking. Even though people are laughing at me, even though people might say that's different, even though people might not understand, I'm going to keep dunking and I'm going to keep doing what you've called. And then comes Jesus. He never fails on his promises. He will always come through. And the promise is this, that when we plant a seed in people's lives, when we water that seed, the promise is that God will make it grow. When we prepare a highway into people's lives, when we open the door to salvation, we trust God and we pray and we believe. Can I tell you, when the way is prepared, Jesus comes every time. We're not doing this for ourselves. We're not doing this just because it's like, oh, this is fun. We're doing this to say, we wanna prepare a way so that the King can come riding into your life. Every single one of you is called. Every single one of you, it's why you're alive. The reason you work your job is to bring people into salvation. The reason why you went to school, the reason why you're married, the reason why you're dating, the reason, all of it, everything comes back to preparing the way so Jesus can come in and work a miracle and bring salvation. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Something takes place in Acts 5, 42. Think about the dynamic difference again. From the first speaking about the gospel to all of a sudden, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and the 40 days he spends with the disciples, he goes, listen, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Go, be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts 5.42, it says, day after day, temple courts from house to house they never stopped proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah I don't know where we lost this 
I don't know where this went wrong, but I would have loved to witness this moment. That the believers were so engaged in the power of proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that not a day went by where they weren't telling people about Jesus. Not a moment went by, whether they were in church, whether they were in someone's house, wherever they were, they never stopped. And I tell you what today, Grace City Tampa, we will be a place, we will be a gathering of believers where we never stop proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It's written on this house. Come on, there are far too many people that are lost, that don't know the knowledge that Jesus loves them, and it's written on your life. We can't back down for anything. Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, we will never stop proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Are you with me today? So if you're with me today, would you put both hands up right now across this room? Lord, you see every hand raised. And Lord, I pray you'll activate your calling, your assignment inside of every single person. Lord, I pray that we will live lives that proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray we will never back down from glorifying your name. Lord, I pray we will never stop declaring it. And Lord, we pray as we prepare the way that you'd be faithful on your promise and you would come riding in on that road. Lord, we would look in the distance and see you coming in to bring salvation, to bring redemption. Lord, we thank you for the power of the cross, that you've already conquered the grave. And so we speak that over every life that we come in contact with. Let us be people that prepare the way by the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So come on church we're gonna declare this song out together come on thank you for listening to the grace city tampa podcast stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church